Habits are who we are, and we get to choose every day who that is. What's remarkable about these women is that their habits are changing the world. Hi, and welcome to Habits, the good, the bad, and the holy. I'm Molly, and I'm sitting down every week with adorers of the Blood of Christ Religious Sisters to hear their stories and learn how habits have become more than a symbol for their vocation. They've become the means to which they change lives. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we are sitting and talking with Sister Miriam Rao. Sister Miriam, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. Well, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. We're going to talk a lot about the different ministries you've done in your life as a sister, but I want to touch on the ministry you're in currently, which is long-term care. Can you talk a little bit about what you do every day? Well, I work at Assisted Living, our sponsored ministry at Maria Court in Mulvane. Mm -hmm. And I work at Villa Maria, which is also, it's a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're not connected. They're several blocks apart. But I do provide communion service for the days that we don't have mass. Mm-hmm. When we have mass, I get the residents there either via wheelchair or remind them. We have Protestant services. So in other words, any church service that we have, and I try to facilitate it in such a manner that the wishes of all of the residents in both places are met. For instance, when I moved to Mulvane and started this ministry, the residents at Maria Court said they didn't have any Protestant church service on Sunday. Mm -hmm. They couldn't go out ordinarily. Some of them have cars, but not many, and they didn't always want to depend on their families. So I called the different pastors in Mulvane, and most of them were very generous in Mm -hmm. agreeing to one Sunday a month, or really it's every six weeks. They will come, and they will do a prayer. They will preach on the Bible, and we have music. I think a lot of times people assume um, Catholicism is this closed off box where mm-hmm. we're open just to other Catholics and no one else. So when you talk about um, coordinating other faith opportunities, uh, what would you say to people who who have that idea in their head that Catholicism is a very closed group of people? Well, I would hope that we are the universal church, that we are not a closed group. And I think when Jesus prayed that all would be one and we all want to go to heaven. And so to me, each religion shows us something different about God mm. or can. Can you say more about that? Um, well, maybe in our Catholic religion, and especially with our charism, we talk about the blood of Christ as being um, the lifeblood of, of all of us. Right. Running through uh, every person, regardless of who they are. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus cared enough about us. God did that. He became man mm-hmm. and human like us. And to me, the blood of Christ means that Jesus not only died for us, but he lived for us. Right. And um, we are all important and special. Mm-hmm. God loves each one of us in right. a unique way. And so to me, when I go to a Protestant service, I join in with the singing. I join in with the praying. I join in with just about everything. I don't receive communion, uh, but that's the only thing that really I think I don't do. Right. But um, so, and, and I really try to get Catholics and Protestants 
in Mulvane to become more friendly and open and know more about each other. Because in the beginning, it seemed like they were not so inclined. Yeah, I love that. Um it's it's almost an in integration of previously segregated groups, mm-hmm. which leads me actually to another question. Um, you lived in Georgia for some time and worked mm-hmm. on integration of segregated mm-hmm. schools. Can you talk about that? Because th- that's just an incredible journey that you went on. Well, I was born in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was born in the era when um, we had black maids. Mm. My Nana was a maid in my family, and she was like my second mother. Yeah. Um, we we cared about Nana. Uh, my mother, I was in the community already, went to her funeral. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, um, black people, I learned to know about them in a not-so-good way in the sense that when you were two or three years old— you take what's given. Right. And we always treated Nana very well, mm-hmm. but it never occurred to me mm-hmm. uh, that, well, there were black uh, doctor's offices and white and in different entrances to mm-hmm. the office. Uh, churches were separate. School were separate. Schools were separate. But then as time went on, by the time I entered the community and um, then I went back to Georgia and I taught. But I also taught in North Carolina in the different schools mm-hmm. that we had black and white. And we did bring them together, the children. And um, what was that like bringing together children that had previously been taught that they should be separate? Well, I think it wasn't so much the children, but the parents. Yeah, because prejudice is learned. Right. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And so um, we had some rocky roads and we just had to keep working at it, you know, Mm -hmm. and and keep working at the fact that we are all together, black and white, Chinese, whatever we would be, that we are all God's children. And, you know, those days are behind us of, mm-hmm. you know, segregation. Of segregation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're totally right. Segregation is behind us. But the topic of racial inequality and um, and continued prejudice is obviously still a hot topic in the world. As someone who grew up in the segregated South mm-hmm. and then moved on to integrate segregated schools, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the conversations that are going on now about race? I think for one thing, it was not just the South. Mm-hmm. I think it was the North economically right. that uh, treated uh, black and white people mm-hmm. differently. And it still happens today. But I think um, it's one reason why I have wanted to minister to black people. And I've had that opportunity a lot of my life. Yeah. Um, because I just felt that we... It's sad that we have treated them like we are. And uh, as Jim Wallace says today in one of his books, it's the original sin of America. Racism is. Wow. I really like uh, that. Yeah. And and so I think we have a long way to go. But um, to keep examining always my... um, my ideas, my thoughts, my actions, you know, how am I really responding to people? Yeah. I, I, it's an ongoing because I think, I, I just think it is. Yeah. So I keep working with it, 
I always tried to go out of my way to treat every child mm-hmm. fairly. You can't right. say equal because children are different and have different needs. Right. But um, so I, I think you bring up an interesting point that we all react very differently to the prejudices prejudices mm-hmm. that have been put on us. And I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what that must have been like to navigate white families mm-hmm. who felt you know, some type of way about black families Mm -hmm. and black families who were so used to having to do, you know, twice the work for half Mm -hmm. the praise. Um, what, what did that teach you about yourself and your faith? And, uh, yeah. Well, I think it taught me to realize (laughs) that I am limited and I commit many faults and that I'm far from perfect. But it made me more tolerant of us. It made me more understanding. Right. Much more understanding of people. And when, uh, say, the black father came, I, I could understand and empathize with him more, I think, because of that understanding. Right. And realizing what maybe they went through, I didn't go through. Right. But to try and put myself in their step, mm-hmm. uh, foot, well, their shoes, and... So I think it made me more understanding and uh, more patient with what happens, you know, and more, again, more understanding of the situation today, Mm -hmm. because I think that's a situation that's repeated in many ways and many different places. Yeah. Uh, So we talked a a little bit about it uh, in this other topic, but you were a teacher for many years. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was your ministry for the longest period of time. What did you teach and what did you like about teaching? Well, I started out with first grade. Mm-hmm. And to me, uh, the miracle of a child, because then they learned to read in first grade, mm-hmm. that they would learn the alphabet and the symbols. They would learn words, mm-hmm. you know, and to put all of that together in right. language. Um, to me, that just was amazing. It, it was a miracle. And I just love to see that happen in first grade. I taught first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh and eighth. I've taught every grade. You've taught the whole gamut. Um, But I think the hardest to teach is really the very beginning, to Mm -hmm. teach a child reading, social skills. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I loved every grade I had and the children. Yeah. Uh, But again, to me, it wasn't just the knowledge, but to really help that child to see that they are loved by God, Mm. that they are important to respect themselves, Mm. you know, and values. Right. Um, That to me is so much more important than the subject matter. Yeah. So, um, so you joined the convent when you were how old? Actually, what happened was I, the sisters from the Columbia, former Columbia province, taught schools up and down the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And they taught uh, in Albany, Georgia, Mm -hmm. the Catholic school. And I just, I was really attracted to them. And uh, it seemed to me in some ways God was calling me to be a sister. But Mm -hmm. then by the time I got to sixth grade, my cousin had babies one after the other. Right. And I babysat. By the time I was 12, I was babysitting babysitting a three-year-old, a two-year-old, a one-year-old, and she had another one. Uh-huh. And um, I really did love babies. And so for me, it became a real pull. Right. Um, you know, do I want to marry and have children? Uh, 
is that what God's calling me to? I entered in my junior year in high school. Okay. Now, again, that was a different era. I, you know, I never would, well, we, you couldn't enter that young today, but um, I had time to decide, you know, we, right. we had formation years, number of years. So as time went on, it just seemed to me that that was right. But I guess the thing that I go back to is then after I taught, I went to Jersey City, New Jersey. Well, I worked with Hispanics for a while in Patterson, New Jersey. But then I went to the Sisters of St. Joseph have um, an alternative school. Okay. They have a home for mothers Mm -hmm. who are not married. Mm -hmm. Some of them were homeless. Some of them had been abused. Some of them had been on drugs. They didn't have an education and they had children. Right. So the moms and the children lived upstairs mm-hmm. and we had uh, daycare downstairs for them. And then the moms went to school and until they were in first grade, the children could come and stay there in the daycare. Right. And so um, I started working in the daycare. I started with the three and four year olds and I went down to the babies. And then I went on to get a national certificate in early childhood. But for me, working with these babies from six weeks on up, and most of them six weeks to two years, three years, um, it, it was like God was gifting me with children. So it was a generative uh, fulfillment for mm-hmm. you. It was. Even though they weren't, you know, technically mm-hmm. you are children. They weren't. But, you know, when you're in that kind of situation, yeah. it happened that I had children who would call to me and not to their mother. Mm-hmm. But the moms really did not have parenting skills. Right. Um, you know, so we tried to teach them that, but it was very fulfilling. Right. And um, and it was sad. So you don't ever forget these things. Right. Uh, and the children stay with you. It's kind of like our motto was, we hold their hands for a little while, but their hearts forever. Right. And uh, you don't ever forget those children. Yeah. We don't keep in touch. No. But so it, it but was a real blessing. But they've always held a special place in, in oh, your yes. heart. And it was such a blessing that in, in that way, I really could be with young children. Right. And um, that to me was very special. I went to that after teaching. Yeah. So you joined uh, the sisters uh, for your formation years when you were 17. 16. 16. And when did you take final vows? Uh, Well, let's see. In those years, we had a year of postulancy, a year of novitiate, and then five years of temporary professions. So it was seven years. Seven Mm -hmm. plus 16. Well, 23. 23. Mm-hmm. You can tell you were a teacher because it was mm. all my brain power to come up with 23 <laughs> in that moment. Well. You always felt kind of a dual call. You knew mm-hmm. you wanted uh, children in your life, mm-hmm. but then you knew you wanted to be a sister. Can you mm-hmm. um, talk about, especially for you know any women listening to this who feel that kind of dual call, how did you make the choice mm-hmm. or did you you know, trust the instinct, whatever it was for you, um, to choose the path that was right for you, because it obviously gave you both fulfillments. Anyway, you mm-hmm. still have had, um, a remarkable yeah, life spent with, with children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it just seemed to me that God seemed to call me in the sense that I would be a better, not a better person, but more loving and following 
what God would want from me by being a sister. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would have been so distracted mm. if I had been married that um, I, my life would not be for God. For many people, I, that's their way to God. Right. It would not have been my way. I would have gotten deterred. <laughs> so that's <laughs> an interesting concept, this idea of a way to God. And I uh-huh. think um, so many people uh, think that uh, choosing to become a sister is um, it's such a foreign thought, especially these days, because there are, mm-hmm. are, there's less interaction with sisters. Right. Can you talk about that idea of, you know, everyone has their own uh, way to find God and that mm-hmm. for some people it's through religious vocation and for some people it is through other things. Yeah. Well, for one thing, I think there's so many choices today mm-hmm. and so many people do such good work. And I really admire married people. Yeah. I mean, I think God, uh, they are more unselfish than I am. And I just really, uh, they have to have so much trust and faith, you know, just to go out and to to care and not to care. In other words, you're raising your child to be on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like, well, I want you to be a copy of me and fulfill what I couldn't do. It's you are your own, you know, and you need your own happiness. I just feel that um, uh, I wouldn't have been been able to do that. I would have been too possessive. Right. And I just feel... God calls us in different ways. And I I think a lot of times circumstances dictate and our gifts and the people we meet. Mm -hmm. I think all of that goes together to uh, help us to know and follow. And sometimes we take one step at a time and, hey, you know, we hope that's it. Yes. (laughs) But so you've been a sister for how many years? Well, I made celebrated my 50th in 2012. So, so 57. Yeah, 50 golden, yeah. I had to think mm-hmm. about that pretty hard. Long time. So you've been a sister for almost 60 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll celebrate your jubilee soon, which mm-hmm. is sister speak for um, a big celebration that happens mm-hmm. at your 60 or 65th mm-hmm. year. Um, what would what have you learned about yourself mm-hmm. as a sister? And then what has given you the most fulfillment through these years? Well, let's see. I think, again, for each one of us, love dictates. You know, when I get up and when I go to bed, as Pedro Arupe, the Jesuit superior general, said. Hey, everyone. Molly here. For those of you wondering, Father Pedro Arupe is a Jesuit priest who lived from 1907 to 1991 and wrote the poem Fall in Love, which is where the line that uh, Miriam is talking about comes from. It is not a direct quote, but we have it linked in the show notes. All right. Now back to the interview. Um, I guess I found more and more that. I love God and am more in touch with God and in tune with my life. Mm -hmm. When I look back, I see the ways that God has really helped me. I mean, I could have gone the wayside and... Uh, but for the grace of God, there would go I and all kind right. of different things. Hey, everyone. Molly here. The quote Miriam just said is sometimes attributed to a mid-16th century statement by John Bradford. There, but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. However, it's a paraphrase from 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 10, which states, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So there's mixed messages on where this quote actually comes from, but it is currently a widely used English idiom. 
All right. Now back to the interview. You know, um, so for me, as I go along, it's like the longer I live, the more I see God's care in my life. And so I'm able to trust God more. Right. Uh, community has its be- its um, benefits and its drawbacks. Yes. I think that's, <laughs> that's been a common theme across all the interviews that I've done <laughs> is the idea that community has uh-huh. been the greatest joy and also the greatest. Uh, I think definitely mm-hmm. the source of, uh, of the greatest mm-hmm. growth for people. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is. The other thing, it's also taught me more to stand on my own. Mm. How can you say uh, boundaries? Can you say more on that? Because I think for a lot of people, they view community as a way to lean on others. So can you talk about how it gave you um, the ability to stand uh, alone? Well, I believe that, that again, God calls us differently. And so, no, I don't want to be leaning on people. Mm-hmm. Lean on God, but not on people. And I've had to work with that. You know, it's much easier to just follow or not say anything mm-hmm. or just go along with. Now, sometimes I think, okay, that's okay. But there are times when I need to stand up and no, I don't really agree with you. Let's respectfully disagree. And community gives you the strength for that. Yes. Um, and I think the other thing is uh, we used to go lock, you know, everybody did the same thing at the same time. No, we are not the same. Right. We are all different. And I heard some one of the sisters last night something say something about, well, the introvert in me says I have to go alone now. I've been with people all day Mm. and I experienced that. Yeah. Uh, I'm working, I'm with people during the day. And a lot of that is listening to people, trying to be there for people. Mm. Because to me, I I don't want to go and talk about God and preach to people at the nursing home. I want to be with them and be there for them. Mm -hmm. I try to be an advocate. If I can push them in their chairs, do this, talk to them in different ways. So um, when I come home, I am an introvert and I do need time alone and I need to respect that. And on my days off, I need to respect that. I need to do things that enrich me right so that I can be for other people Mm. that's not always been easy because I tend to be codependent and it's much easier to please you yeah yeah. uh, then you know but it's something I work at right and uh to me you know it's it's important yeah there's a balance I think for each one of us and the balance is different Mm -hmm. um the topic of self-care which you just touched on has Mm -hmm. become another hot topic lately uh this idea of uh taking time for rest for caring Mm -hmm. for who you are as a person Mm -hmm. um wholly instead of who you are as an employee who is a sister a daughter a mother whatever that is uh Mm -hmm. can you talk about you said it's been, you know, hard for you to find that balance. How have mm-hmm. you worked to find that balance? How have you found self-care to be rewarding in your life? Well, for one thing, when I'm not taking care of myself, I get grouchy. Mm. I get um, more negative. Mm-hmm. I tend to become more, I tend to become depressed. Mm. And to me, it takes me away from God and it takes me away from myself. Mm. And so um, we are each temples of the Holy Spirit. God is in each one of us. So Mm -hmm. I need to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I can, I mean, I'm in tune enough with myself now that I know when I'm not. Mm -hmm. And these are manifestations, you know, I get impatient, I get negative, I'm overtired, um, what have you. So, so what do you do uh, when you start feeling those pulls on you? Well, like today, I was off today and um, there were a number of things yesterday that I, I found challenging. Mm-hmm. Um and so today I took time. I went to Botanica. Mm-hmm. I took extra time to pray. Right. I got up later in the morning. So you um, just took the time mm-hmm. to kind of breathe a little life in, into mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. before you went and, and mm-hmm. gave that to other people. Yes. And, and I mean, I just, I find that important. Yeah, I agree with you. So. Uh, so there's one question I ask every sister that comes on the podcast, the things Mm -hmm. we do every day, make us who we are, our habits. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I love to ask, what is your best habit? Well, prayer to me. And Mm -hmm. when I talk about prayer, I'm not talking about prayers. I'm just talking about a union with God, Mm -hmm. knowing God is with me and in me and around me. Nature to me is very important. Yeah. And I always take time to just thank God for it. I try to get out in it Mm. as much as I can. But nature is is really important to me. Yeah. And what's your worst habit? Well, for me, judging people in my mind, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and an example of that is, and I I work with this, we have an employee at work. She's a young person. I bet she must be 20, 21. Okay. Anyway, so every day she'll say to me, I'm tired. I'm tired. And so, you know, now I said, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, But I thought to myself, wait till you get older. You're going to know what it is to be tired. Right. That's my thought. Now Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to ever, you know. But then one day she said to me, "Uh, my one year old at home is doing this and that and the other. Now, when she said that, I thought to myself, no wonder you're tired all the time. (laughs) You've got a one year old at home. Right. So to me. So often, knowing more about a person helps me not to be, I bet I try not to be judgmental. I try to hold, you know, but at times I do because I. Because we perceive it from our own perception. You're right. Yeah. And um, so there are times like that that I just say, thank you, God, for letting me hear that, you know, and know that. And then, yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing I really work with because to change my perception of things. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you, Miriam, so much for coming and sitting with us. I've really enjoyed getting to pick your brain uh, and talk about your ministry. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and behind the scenes, check out our website, adorers.org. Habits is brought to you by the Adorers of the Blood of Christ U.S. Region. Co-produced by Cheryl Wittenauer, Lori Benj, and Molly McKinstry. Edited by Molly McKinstry. Thanks. We'll see you all next week.